Adam here. Just wanted to preface this episode real quick by informing you that there is a eh, kind of mid-range hum that's pretty much present throughout the course of the recording. Our good friend Aaron Shelton of Thinking Too Hard About Anime helped us clean it up and did a magnificent job, but given the range, or rather the frequency of the hum, it was pretty much impossible to completely remove it from recording. Also, since your original posting day of this episode, it turns out that I was incorrect in stating that this was a game created by one of our RPX players. Rather, it was created by Reddit user Mr. Malloy, and the game is called The Magnus Archives, a tabletop RPG for two players. We will be including the link in the show notes. So with that, sit back, relax, and enjoy this RPX tribute to The Magnus Archives. The role-playing exchange presents the Magnus Archives. By the fans of the Magnus Archives. Written by Chris Hannon. Performed by Patrick Harkin. Okay. So, the statement in this case is, uh... Uh, we'll be calling it Episode 1, Vestibule. We're going to do character creation right now. Your character is at uh, dealing with a surgery in the 80s. Uh, okay. So just generally dealing with... Yes, you could be somebody who's associated with the uh, person going under the knife. You could actually be the doctor. You could be a another patient. Mm. Or the patient itself. I think maybe the patient, I think, uh, like, medical horror is going to be very strong, and also, like, the, the, the concept of going under anesthesia introduces a lot of ambiguity that I think is really useful in horror. Like, okay. oh, maybe I'm seeing a real thing, maybe it's... Maybe it's, it's the, the drugs. messing with my head. Exactly. Okay. Awesome. So, with that in mind, uh, listeners, the way this uh, RPG works, uh, I have three suits of cards of a minute suit they're the cards you know from a million other decks of cards you've seen in your life. Uh, I have diamonds, clubs, and hearts uh, to build my character from. Diamond representing their mind, uh, club representing their body, heart representing their soul. Uh, I figure, since this person is undergoing medical treatment, they're unwell, so their body pool is probably going to be the lowest of the three. Of course. So um, I have to make these totals add up to 20, so I think I'll go, I don't want to go too low, because then I might not make it. Um, so I'm going to go with 5 for body. Uh, I get the feeling you're going to challenge my soul quite a bit, because you are Chris Hammond. Uh, so I'm going to set that at 8 for my soul, and then my mind, just by the property of maths, will be set at 7. Perfect. What sort of part of the world is this? Uh, we'll say this is set in a <coughs> slightly larger city in the east coast of the U.S. Okay. Uh, you had to go specifically to see a specialist. Sure. It's not not very often that uh, someone has to have the sort of surgery that you're looking into. Oh dear. One time you you don't want to be unique and special is mm-hmm. when doctors are involved. Mm-hmm. I'd love to have, like, an island named after me. You definitely don't want a condition named after you. Exactly. Right, so I've shuffled the valley in front of me. Uh, okay. And then we have some other ideas. Uh, in terms of name, let's go with, uh, I'll play against gender, Madeline. Uh, Madeline Tyne, T-Y-N-E. seeing like early college student age I figure uh, a condition like this would manifest like puberty uh, more, more likely it's early adulthood puberty yeah early adulthood late puberty so she's maybe 19 uh, her mind's pretty high so that's why I said college student probably on the honor roll yeah yeah uh, uh, but we don't identify too much one more question to us about the character, that's like fear? Yes, um, so 
This episode is going to take place in the late 80s, and we'll say it's set in Boston. Because okay. Boston Medical. Boston. Mm-hmm. How, how is... We've already defined how your character is connected to the, uh, the hospital, Boston Medical, because you are a patient there, and about to undergo a strange surgery. How do you know Dr. Lawrence? Dr. Lawrence uh, was the man who referred me. He's not the, the, the surgeon himself, but he was the one who sort of spotted that this might need specialist care, like I'm thinking like family care, primary care physician. Mm-hmm. But when my symptoms came in, uh, he was able to sort of see that as more than young girl trying to get off of school, or uh, like it's teenagers being teenage, uh, and I went, no, 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 hang on, this, uh, you should speak to someone I know, uh, a specialist, uh, and he's been very uh, important throughout that whole procedure, so I still, he's sort of been following up with me. Alright, so it should be noted that the, your perspe- the your specific symptoms have to deal with severe vertigo, mm-hmm. uh, headaches, um, ringing in your ears. Everything points to something wrong with the your uh, vagus nerve and your vestibular nerve. So, a lot of ear issues. Sure. Which symptom is the one that affects you the worst? Um, I think vertigo. The feeling of like at any point in time, whether I'm, whether I'm, I am on like the third floor, thing, whether I'm on, on the uh, the elevator or the lift, go through the building, I'll just suddenly feel like the world fall out from under me. Has been like it just ruins your day and whatever you're doing at the time. Like lost count of how many times a jar of peanut butter has smashed on the grocery store aisle because suddenly I thought I was falling off a cliff. Right, and. What are your thoughts on the referring specialist, Dr. Richard House? Really? Dr. House? I... You're a motherfucker. I'm uh, not, I'm not talking... Well, apparently he's an asshole. No, uh, no not, not that house. <laughs> this uh, is an actual person named Dr. House, it's not House MD. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, uh, it was your choice, not mine. Uh, uh okay. Uh, Dr. House has been, um... Not as warm and friendly. I think he sees me as as a case, not as a person. So, uh, like bedside manner, not great. Uh, I, I, I kind of don't blame him. Like, I imagine he's extremely academic in this. And like, if if I'm the tenth person to have this in a year, maybe ten years, like he probably doesn't get a lot of chance to work on his people skills, which aren't great. Um, so like he's never really asked me like he's, he's asked for my symptoms but he's never asked how I feel. Mm-hmm. If if that distinction makes sense. He's a he's very cold basically. Yeah, he is a man behind a clipboard. Alright. And finally, what is your protagonist's greatest fear? Um it would be very easy to say something like dementia or something wrong with the brain. Um, but I feel that would be a little too obvious given the scenario. Um I think Madeline, I think I, uh, I'm very afraid, hmm. I really need to work on my improv skills. <laughs> could be some, something simple, as simple as you're afraid of blood. Yeah, it, it could be. Um, I think if I'm in chronic care, like hospitals have, have sort of been inured to me, but like I think the big one is probably like still there, like I've, I've been in hospitals a lot of my teenage years, so I'm probably like very familiar with the face of death. Like they they will try and keep it from you, but like every so often you see someone wheeled down the hall, or uh, you see someone being wheeled in, and like you know every every medic will have a story to when they lost, or you know it'll be very uh, you know, and like I'm probably quite aware that I'm, I'm on that path. Like someone mixes up the anesthetic dose wrong, or there's probably, I've looked up the survival rates on this experimental surgery, but there's a chance I won't wake up. So, like, that big sleep probably doesn't feel very comforting. So you're afraid that you're going to die? Yes. Okay. 
my own impending mortality. Okay. So, the basic way this game works is I'm going to start off by giving you the, uh, the, the base summary. And this is the narrator's encounter with an impossible maze before a medical surgery. Do you want to do the, the archivist bit as well? Sure. <clears throat> Statement of Madeline Tyne, recounting uh, a surgery. Statement given by Madeline Tyne. Statement recorded by Christopher Vandermeer. Statement begins. Now, it, from what I understand, it began with you when Dr. Lawrence found something odd in your, uh, in your inner ear. Yes, I was always a uh, rambunctious kid, uh, going around, you know, always on the, 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 the uh, tire swing outside, or uh, going around and around on the, the carousel in the park outside my house. Uh, and one day, I, I think I was maybe, maybe 10, uh, I'd been spun by my dad so hard and so fast that I thought I was going to just like fly off into space. And, you know, I was used to that, to the dizzy feeling, that giddy, uh, what I would later know is like drunken feeling. Obviously, I didn't know at the time. Um, and then, like, by the time we got home, driving home from the the park, like I was still woozy. I was still reeling, uh, and it just it just hadn't gone away. By the time it was like 11 o'clock that night and I was still feeling woozy, they, they, they first called Dr. Lawrence to have a look at my ear. Uh, I mean, at that point, like, you're, a, you're still a kid, you get like a thing poked in your head, and then the grown-ups go off and uh, talk for a bit, and you're given a lollipop and told you've been very brave. Uh, but even then, I knew something was wrong. What happened in the hallway at the hospital? Uh, so, this was coming back uh, along the way from, from the first time I had my, my ears looked at. Uh, and my parents were with me and we were going down this long, straight corridor. You know how they design corridor, uh, hospitals to be just you can sprint straight down uh, breakneck speed when someone's coding. Long, long, vanishing distance hallway with regular doors along the way, uh, and I was still so terrified of losing of, of my grip of falling that I was hanging on with my right arm to my mom, my left arm to my dad, and to try and keep myself stable, I was counting the doors as I as I walked down, and they were regular, you know, one and then two and then one and then two, left and then right left and then right, with then the T-junction in the middle, um, we kept going. I, I was sure that at some point the T-junction was going to come, and I was counting left and then right and then left and then right, uh, and we were still walking, uh, and I realized something was wrong, and was looking to my parents for uh, reassurance, and counting left and then right and then left and then right. And then the right never came? So this will be our first challenge. I believe this would be a challenge to your mind. Because okay. something is wrong. You know how this was supposed to go. So? I just drew a 10. I just drew a 6. So that means you have to draw another card. And since you've beaten me now, those are both discarded. My 10 is discarded as well. So this is a game of endurance. Our decks will deplete. If I, if I run out of one of mine, I think that ends badly for me. You can. But you will have a list of victory criteria that I don't know about. Mm -hmm. This was the first attack, and this was before they found the object in your ear. What do you remember? Like, what do you remember they called the tool, the tumor? So this was. I was a little older by the time it had grown large enough for them to actually call it a tumor. Nowadays, I think we'd say it started off as a granuloma, like a like an angry grain of sand. Uh, 
grain of sand that wants to kill you. Eventually it got bigger, uh, and I was almost at the point where they thought they could talk to me openly about medical things like this. Uh, as a sort of teenager that's kind of a little adult rather than a big kid. Um, and like I'd, I'd been trying to read all of the stuff I could and I felt very tucked down to when uh, they, they told me to imagine a crab because cancer means crab. And that there was a little, a little crab in my ear. Uh, and then every so often there's little pinches were going to grab something in my head and it would make things go strange. This is around the time the dreams began, isn't it? It is. Uh, around about this time, uh, I, I mean, I've been spending more and more time in the hospital, so maybe it's not that surprising that my dreams were in the hospital as well. I was up there on the third floor, I was walking, counting, left and then right, and then left and then right, and then left wouldn't come, and that straight quarter mile long corridor uh, wasn't, it, it was straight, but it, 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 it was, it felt like it was turning, and the vertigo was everywhere, and it was twisting, I was falling, but there was no down, there was no up. It was just a, you know, I wasn't walking forward, I was being dropped down the corridor. This was around the time Nurse Adler stole something from your file. Do you remember anything about that? Uh, I don't have a full list of my allergies. Uh, I mean, hay fever, a couple of food allergies. It's not really surprising that a sickly kid also had this like laundry list of conditions. I don't even know if she meant to steal one of the sheets containing it, uh, or if it was just something important had been written on the back of it, and she took that home. Uh, but there was a, a page in my file that had a list of stuff I wasn't supposed to eat or be given as part of the, the surgery, and it wasn't that. Nurse Adler was never seen again what I understand, but this caused problems in your next operation. You nearly died. What happened? So, I mean, it sounds weird to say it, but when you're, like, chronically ill, surgery does kind of become routine. Like, you learn the moving parts, and you see the people and the faces learn the names and the stories if you're in the same hospital over and over again. I, I got to, knew, to know my, uh, my anesthesiologist fairly well. Uh, and like, he was one of those guys that, that kind of thought if you knew what you were facing, like, you'd be less scared about it. Like, he knew I was kind of icky about the big one. Uh, and did I have anything? And, and I asked that. I was like, well, he was like, explaining stuff to me about percentages and like checking my body weight to make sure he was getting the right dose that it would keep me out throughout the whole procedure. Buzzing bulb, uh, and that was still 
said that the hospital was different? Uh, I'd learned the layout pretty well. Been long enough there. Uh, fairly classic open wings with a, a, a T junction, maximum floor space. When I came out, there was maybe another wing that sort of started. Uh, I, I kind of want to say like one of those uh, older apartment buildings uh, down by the river, uh, more like a, a cross or a plus sign. There was an extra limb to it, four instead of three. Why did you never go down that hallway? I remember once talking to another chronic, another persistently sick patient. I mean, there's not much else to do on the ward uh, when they keep you there in recovery. The books only last so long, the grapes only last so long, you just, you end up talking. And someone transferred in from that ward, the ward on the wrong limb of the hospital. Uh, he'd been like an emergency case, brought in something severe, I, I never got the full details, taken for treatment there and then transferred to us for long-term care. around the time Dr. House started seeing you, correct? Yes, by that point we knew enough about it. We'd, we'd done the first few surgeries. I was recovering, not as well as they'd hoped. Not as strong as I should have been, maybe.
Greece and Africa. So you're very, very close to. Very, very close. This was around the time that uh, there was the malpractice suit at the hospital. Who went missing during your surgery? So by the time I got old enough to sort of be able to understand a lot of what was going on at the hospital, to like understand the difference between a clinical trial and an experimental procedure and just a butcher going off on one, um, by the time that happened, I mean this, is, this has been a few years now. Wasn't the only one undergoing the, the procedure. They needed a few people. It's kind of why they waited as long as it did, and uh, part of why my cancer got so bad. They needed to get enough people for the trial. Uh, and there was another kid on, on the trial. Uh, I don't know, maybe they were focusing on neurological disorders in the young. Uh, but he was. 17 at this point. Uh, his name was Jeremiah. Uh, we had the beds next to each other. I mean, it was kind of a fault in our stars thing. You know, we're both hormonal and doomed, so why not? Right? Uh, and one day Jeremiah was rolled out to the surgery. And then someone else was put in his bed. But that's when they said there wasn't a Jeremiah. They started talking about doctor-patient confidentiality and medical information being privileged. I wasn't allowed to know any, like anything in the fact the patients more than what they were willing to tell me. The patients themselves. So I knew that there was a guy named Jeremiah. Ask a nurse to confirm that someone named Jeremiah had been in that bed. I couldn't, you know, um, call a medical insurance company to say, have there been any claims on the account by this family? Uh, so, like, I wasn't expecting, you know, uh, anything like that. But when they started saying the bed had been empty for weeks, around the time of your surgery when <clears throat> you once again were locked in. Dr. House had always been a bit brusque to you. But what do you what did you do when you saw Jeremiah among the, the surgical staff? strongest of your attacks yet. 
happened when the body fell off? You're not supposed to feel like you're falling when you are maybe the most secure person can be without being staked to the ground. You, you're not supposed to feel like you've just been shoved out of a, 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 an airplane, like you're parachuting when your brain is, you, you know that you are held with leather and steel, that you are on the ground floor, that there's nothing below you but solid, comforting, accelerating rock. When something lay on me, when something collided, with me, I had no idea what to do. I couldn't move, I couldn't see, I could just feel this impact and then the pressure. I, if I had control over my lungs, I think I would have screamed. And it hit me and it lay on me. It was not warm, not cold, it was room temperature like, like a body that had been left out long enough to lose its heat. It was soft but too giving to be skin. When it came against the hard plastic of the respirator, this soft skin split and something got on my chin, something wet and rancid and foul, and just began to run down my face, and I, I couldn't do anything, it felt filthy, but I couldn't reach up it and touch it, and I was still falling, for all I knew, and this thing had just fallen faster, and then caught up with me, and, and, and hit me, I don't know. I need you to make a roll from your soul pack. Yikes. Yeesh. That is four cards down. That is four cards down. Oh, we're getting close to the end. Once, one aspect of the statement that never made sense. Why? How did you get away from this? That wing had been Eventually, when I regained enough movement again, starting with a finger and then a wrist and then an arm, and I was able to get the, the top off of me, whatever they laid on me, when, when I was able to open my eyes again, I just saw a, like, a, like a, a plastic wrapping, a blanket, and I got up. And I was in the lost hospital again. I knew if I followed the trail on the floor to the nurse's office, it would loop me around and around, and then she would just be there again, and I would fall towards her. I don't know if I would wake up in time before she called me. But this time I saw something on the wall, uh, a You Are Here sign, and I was able to trace curving, folding paths this hospital was taking, and I knew that I knew them. I'd seen them a thousand times in scans, in, in textbooks, these folding, warping, labyrinthine pathways were not hospital walls, these were the curves and the folds and the lines that were etched across my brain. There was no dot on the map of this hospital. It just said, you are here. And I was able to wake up. I need to make one final uh, resistance against with your mind. 
Society Archivist at the Usher Foundation. Statement begins. Oh, must be on to the cards as well. I am removing four from my mind deck, two from my body, and four from my soul. Michael is a hardy guy, but not the smartest or the uh, bravest. Tell me why you have to drive across country. Why are you going through South Dakota right now? My girlfriend had just left me, and I wasn't doing well in school. So I thought, fuck it. I'll head back. I'll head back to Michigan. I'll I'll take the blows from my family, the shame. whatever, but if you're listening to the same eight songs over and over, what are you supposed to expect? I, I, I tried my hardest sometimes not to just yell at him. What happened at Big Sky Gas and Refreshment? Oh, that was the, the robbery. I, we were stopping, and I was, uh, I was having trouble staying awake, so I was getting a jolt, and, uh, like, a big, a big gulp, and I think Derek was, he wasn't driving, so he decided he would pull back a few cold ones, when some jerk or psycho showed up, and, uh, he, uh, just started, like, screaming at the register for that he wanted the cash. man behind the counter. His name Bash says Jeremiah. What did you do to save Jeremiah from this robber? I'm... I'll be the first to admit I'm not a brave guy. But I'm not just gonna... If I can help him, he was obviously unhinged. So I, uh... I threw my the can of soda as hard as I could at the back of his head. Okay, that's your body challenge. My two is gone. Seven stays. The can hits him hard. He falls, and the man behind the counter, Jeremiah, after everything is is done and dusted. His hand on your shoulder, uh, and as he's pressuring you back out to your car, what does he say? That's the thing, it was weird. He, he said, Now I'll never be lost. He thanked me, but that just stuck in my head. If you help someone, you'll never be lost. What was the weather like? That stretch of highway outside of the Allen. Oh, it was, uh, I remember it was cloudy. Um, I heard on the radio that there was a t tornado warning in the area, but we were still so far, we were out of town. And we, we really had nowhere to go, so we just, Derek and I just booked it. What did Derek say the third time you saw the He asked me if I'd double back. I thought that was odd. It's a straight road. Why, why, why would I? And then he pointed that out. Obviously, someone was playing a prank or something. I mean, you've got all these people who have, like, all the signs that are like, come see the world's biggest ball of cheese, exit 120. So, I didn't know what it meant. Yeesh. And, uh, I... Failed that challenge. Okay, so he's repeating 
stretch of highway doesn't sit well with you. No. Okay. I didn't like that. What was wrong with the roadkill you found outside the fifth 120 mile marker? It was an alligator. There aren't alligators in Dakota. There aren't alligators anywhere up north. I don't know, maybe some dude had the zoo and it got loose, but you think you would have heard about that on the radio or something. At the 10th 120 mile marker, what started playing on the radio? Um, I don't know. It wasn't music, really. It was like somebody just repeating some poem like here lies John here's another John then something about a wasteland I I looked it up later and apparently it was just garbled T.S. Eliot stuff I didn't do well in school. I don't understand it. When did you realize there was something behind you? I saw it in the, the rearview mirror first. And I, there hadn't been car like we'll see it you'll see it in the, the occasional car pass every two hours or so, but like it was just following us but then I would look behind me and there wasn't anything there but then I'd look in the mirror, rear view mirror and there it is just on the very edge of the edge of the road I don't know what it was it was too far away but it wasn't there I think how did you escape from it I just I put my Pedal to the fucking metal, man. Drive your ass off. Listen to Nirvana the whole time, but at least I could ignore it. When Derek forced his way out of the car, why did you let him go? Derek had been yelling that it was catching up, that it was obviously coming for me. I don't know why you thought it was going after me. I didn't do anything. I just helped someone a few hours ago without... He started trying to grab the wheel and I wasn't gonna let him do that. I'm driving. It's gonna hurt and then he just opened the door and I was like, I thought either, either he's gonna get us both to crash or just me and I don't, or he's just die, gonna jump out and hopefully he can roll. So I. I thought maybe I'd double back later, once he'd gotten some sense into him. When you reach the 120 mile marker for the 50th time, what did you see that remained of Derek? It was just his skin. Else. Like, you've been cleaned perfectly. is doing the same thing and expecting a different result. So I did something else. Popped a tire and it kept going. 
asleep because I figured this is my life now this is I'm never out of the 120 mile marker and then I just woke up at a gas station it's completely out of gas all four of my wheels were popped I don't know how I got there statement ends so let's review Highest card in your soul deck? Highest card in my soul deck is a four. Okay. Let me just check how many cards are in here. Right. How many cards are in your mind deck and how many are in your body? Three and three, respectively. You narrowly avoid death. Okay. So, uh, the category for surviving on this one was if the mind deck has fewer cards than the body deck. Oh boy. So you have just avoided it. Uh, if the GM deck has fewer than seven cards in it, the horrors on the highway do not continue. If soul deck highest card is less than four, somebody becomes an avatar. Oh boy. So you manage to avoid all three of those. Because it was less than four. Right. Postscript. Calvin's further investigation reveal Michael Stain living uh, to this day in the port of Boston, Massachusetts. Uh, at least that's his registered address. He is taking a new career as a flight attendant. Uh, following up on the highway, stretch of highway, Mr. Stain's statement describes we can find no further the Big Sky Gas and Refreshments uh, did report a attempted burglary the night of question. Proprietor Jeremiah Fairchild uh, gave a statement to the police detailing an account that roughly matches up with Mr. Stay, although his family name is cause for concern. One final the stretch of highway past Allen, South Dakota, appears to be the closest one can come by car to the continental pole of inaccessibility, the point furthest from the sea, the hardest point to reach, the very middle of America. One can't help but think that if one were to stand there, that's big sky country. It would seem to go on forever. Stay with them. 